Hello, you beautiful souls. I'm back with episode number 41 of the Unleash Your Life podcast. It's Lane. (laughs) I love that you're here. Two weeks ago, I spent an entire weekend in the chatty, egoic mind, absolutely unable and seemingly ill-equipped to change the story that was going on in my head. It was completely irrational and unfounded, but in the midst of it all, my egoic mind and the stories it was telling me, I was wrapped around its little finger and I followed that crazy ass trail all over the place and it left me miserable. This episode is all about how I eventually got free of the stories I was choosing to believe for one of the longest 48 hour periods I've had in a really long time. If that's got you interested, stick around. I'll meet you back here in about a minute. This is the Unleash Your Life podcast, where you're going to learn to rewild yourself. I'm your host, Lane Smith-Brown, and I'm a best-selling author and rewilding guide. And over the last 20 years, I've been guiding women back to their truest selves. You see, you were born wild with all the wisdom you will ever need to navigate your life in a beautiful and powerful way. Then, just like everyone else on the planet, you got tamed as you fell under the power and influence of others who were also tamed. All that taming you got as a kid has you convinced you are less powerful than you really are. I call all of that unconscious programming power leaks. And on this show, you're going to discover yours and then you're going to choose to plug them so you can get back to the wild, wise and powerful being that you are. So grab a coffee, glass of wine or a favorite friend or all three. And let's talk about what living your wild self can mean for you. All right, welcome back. So let me begin by another question. What is it that is so compelling about the voice inside our own heads? I've come to the conclusion that the entirety of all the world's problems could be eliminated simply by answering that one question and then using the tools to calm it down. When we follow the rabbit hole that our egoic subconscious mind creates for us, we immediately get lost. We get isolated, we get marginalized, we get pinned down, we get trapped. And from there, we make decisions. And how sound do you think those decisions are? When we put ourselves in a position of listening to the voices in our head, we automatically marginalize ourselves and others. We can even dehumanize ourselves and dehumanize others. We automatically get so skewed to the negative because the function of the egoic subconscious is to constantly be on guard for problems. Worst case scenarios, waiting for the clues that our world is about to fall apart because it's still under the impression that those are the tactics that lead to our survival. So even though we've moved well beyond our knuckle-dragging ancestors, we may still navigate portions of our lives in this Neanderthal approach to living in fight, flight, or fear. 
I'm choosing to tell you this story because there are some of you out there who are beating yourself up for following the same types of rabbit trails I did two weeks ago and for about another two hours last weekend and you're judging yourself. And guess what? That reaction is also part of the rabbit trail. All right, so it may not come as a shock to you to hear this, but the voices in our head usually seek out someone else to be the blame for our misery. So even though some of those voices are going to be saying bad things about you or me, it will also help uh, it will also help you attach that behavior to someone in your life, and often it's the ones you love most. Let me give you an example of the thoughts the egoic mind puts into our heads. I'm feeling lonely. The reason I feel lonely is because my mate refuses to spend time with me and has all kinds of other things to do with their time. So my loneliness is her fault. Or I'm spending too much time at home taking care of things because she's too busy riding horses in the arena. I'm busy thinking about all the ways I can make her life easier because she has a more stressful job than I do. And I blame her because I've given myself away. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, on most days when I described what I described in that first scenario as loneliness is what I experience as solitude, as autonomy, as a time for reflection, for space, for gaining clarity, for getting to know myself better. This is such a luxury. But when I'm in the swirling energy of my egoic mind, all my egoic mind is concerned with is finding someone or something to blame. So, two weeks ago, I blamed Callie. My ego had me all bent out of shape because I was spending so much time taking care of the house and the tradespeople working on our renovations and the grocery shopping and the pets and her. And she was going to play and have fun. The truth is, because I have the flexibility that I have, I chose to do this. It was a decision I made. I was not forced upon me. It wasn't even asked of me. I get to take long walks in the woods with the dogs. I get to spend time cooking, which is a favorite pastime. I get to break up the work I do by doing a variety of other things. But in my egoic frenzy of two weeks ago, Callie was to blame for all of that. She was taking advantage of me. She wasn't recognizing how much stuff I do for her. While she's playing around with her horses, I have all of the other responsibilities. I cannot even begin to tell you how inaccurate that story is. But that is the rabbit trail my ego mind sent me on. My lack of balance between work and play was her fault. I had turned work that I love into work that I must do, just so I could feel badly and need to blame someone. I even managed to turn walking the dogs through the woods to the lake as work as responsibility. 
And who is to blame for all of that? You got it, Callie. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't agreements and relationships that need to be renegotiated. Times change, people change, situations change, and there ought to be all kinds of room for finding ways of living together that meet everyone's needs as best they can. But that had nothing to do with what was happening here. The truth of it is, I was feeling insecure about my own contributions. I can have a lot of guilt because I get to do my work from home. I get to control my environment. I get to take breaks whenever I want. And guilt? Well, guilt is something the ego loves to ride. When the ego can get a hold of the guilt reins, it will take you to a whole pile of places that you did not choose and you really don't want to go to. So two days ago, two full days, I should say, of being so taken by the stories inside my mind, I came to some pretty wild conclusions. I came to the conclusion that it would be the best thing if Callie, that I, if I left Callie, because she'd see how hard her life was without me. I even went so far as to think what would happen if I wasn't even living any longer. Well, that would teach her too, wouldn't it? Perhaps I would just sell the house and we could split the profits and she could have her own place and I could have mine. Being on this side of the wild ride, I can see the clues from the week before. There were all kinds of self-judgment starting to happen. I was feeling stuck, listening more to others than my higher being. I convinced myself nothing was going my way. Everything I did was turning to shit. I had forgotten to spend time in thankfulness. I had forgotten to be the observer. And before I knew it, I was down the rabbit hole. So there I am, smack dab in the blah, blah, blah. Well, <laughs> I can reduce it, reduce it now to that blah, blah, blah. But in the moment, it all feels so legitimate. Does that sound familiar to you? The last thing the ego is, is rational. It was not designed to be rational. It was designed to make you safe in the shortest amount of steps. And one of the shortest ways that it can make you feel safe is by finding a scapegoat. You need to lay this at someone else's feet or on conditions you feel are out are, are under are out of your control, sorry. So what does that get you? Where's the freedom in any of that? Where's your responsibility in all of that? When I'm in this state of being trapped inside my egoic mind, my monkey mind, my first reaction is I go to childhood coping stuff. And it looks like this. I start getting really quiet. I'm stewing. I'm rolling this over in my mind. And it is getting bigger and bigger and bigger until the only thing that I can think of doing is to explode in anger. And it's all about blame. Now, to balance this picture out just a little bit, this particular scenario happens, seems to be a few times a year, and it used to happen way more. And it is always because I have not made play a priority for myself. My mate works hard, but she makes play her biggest priority. She is clear that play is where she gets her balance back. 
play is where she gets or she keeps standing in her own power. Play brings her peace and joy. When I'm in that frenzied egoic state, like I said earlier, I can take the beautiful experience of walking in the woods with the dogs to their favorite lake as a chore. Seriously, I take that gorgeous, beautiful experience and feel sorry for myself because I've turned it into a chore. That's a choice. Now, I also get to spend much of my day in solitude, in studying, in writing, in communicating with students and with clients. And when I'm in that crazy, frenetic ego mind, I've turned all of that into work. That's a choice. This is why it is so important to learn to become aware of where you're taking your guidance from. Which part of you is evaluating the situation? What's their agenda? Do they want you to feel powerful and connected or overwhelmed and alone? Are they interested in your personal well-being or their personal well-being? <laughs> when you're off kilter, and you're listening to the voices in your head that are from your egoic mind, you will be unable to take responsibility for anything that's happening to you. You must project that responsibility outward. That's just the way this is built. But there is an out, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So this is the micro aspect of you. You represent one person who is off balance. And you are looking to point the finger at anything to alleviate the lack of control you are feeling in the moment. Now look at the world around you right now and ask me this or, or answer me this. Can you see how this is playing in the macro? Can you see how we have a world that is so afraid of awakening to the lies inside their own subconscious mind that they are caught in this very immature childlike state of wanting to put their own personal responsibility on the shoulders or the backs of others. It looks like this. If you didn't vote for that party and you voted for my party, the world would be a better place. Or if you followed my religion or my philosophy instead of following your own, the world would be a better place. If the color of your skin matched the color of my skin, the world would be a better place. If those people would just stay on their side of the fence and leave me and my people on my side of the fence, the world would be a better place. If everyone would just stop trying to shove their ideas down my throat like I try to shove my ideas down their throat, the world would be a better place. <laughs> this gets really ugly really fast, does it not? In my little world in those 48 hours two weeks ago, it was about me and Callie. But when we take this broader to all of the human beings in the world, all 7 billion of us in it, it becomes a game of them and us. And whenever we fall into a pattern of them and us, we automatically eliminate the possibility of an equitable solution where everyone gets to still live in some level of harmony in the world. 
<coughs> excuse me, does that feel like the world right now? Are we living in harmony or in a them and us scenario? So what would the solution be? Well, the solution looks different when you're coming from the lies inside of your own subconscious mind or when you're standing in your own personal power. When you're in your egoic mind, we tend to want everyone else to suffer. When you're in your personal power, we tend to want everyone else to thrive. That's a monumental shift in how we navigate 7 billion people living together, isn't it? So who does this begin with? Well, <laughs> it begins with us individuals. This is the work we're doing here. The end result of us doing our individual work and learning to navigate the voices in our own heads that are convincing us that we are less responsible and less capable than we truly are is chaos. And from that chaos, we try to make decisions and we end up in a bigger mess than before we started. We need to be having these conversations with ourselves and with each other. We need to normalize this idea of understanding that there is stuff playing in the background that left unattended and unexamined will show up in our external reality. If we're not doing this, we are part of the global problem and not part of the global solution. So let's bring this back down to our own individual experience in the world. You and I are just snapshots of everyone else that's walking the planet. None of us are unique in the experiences we have with our subconscious minds. As long as you have an egoic mind, <clears throat> excuse me, you're going to go down the rabbit trails. But the more awareness you have of what the early warning signs are, the better chance you have of shortening how far down the rabbit trail you're going to go. My early warning signs was that I was getting quieter. I was stewing and I didn't pay attention. I indulged it. And all of a sudden, I was down the hole. My excursions down the hole are usually two to five hours long. <laughs> the week, that weekend uh, that I had two weeks ago was more than two full days long. Years ago, it used to be weeks. And some years back, it was months. When I'm in the two to five hour stage, I can usually break that up with a walk, with a quick conversation with myself, kind of digging around for the truth of what it is I'm actually experiencing. I might simply do another distracting activity, like listen to something or write something out. But on this bigger one, I was far too, far too gone or too far gone. But by day two, I had moments of awareness that I was off track, that I was believing a bunch of lies, that I was creating a bunch of drama. And still, I got angrier and angrier and angrier. My plans got wicked. They got volatile and dramatic. But on the heels of doing years of work on trying to understand myself, I became the tiniest bit aware 
that what I was doing was unhelpful. And that tiny, tiny, seemingly minuscule little crack gave me enough to hold on to and allow my egoic brain to simply exhaust itself. I let it rant. I let it go in all kinds of crazy places. I let it come to all kinds of unhealthy and untrue conclusions. I let it come up with plans and I just observed. Eventually, through watching its messy and erratic maneuvers, there came a moment where everything went quiet. And then I began to talk. The awakened one began to talk. And I asked myself all kinds of questions. And I asked them out loud. That was the key. Out loud. Why out loud? <laughs> well, for me, staying in the silence makes the voices in my head louder. So the louder I get, the quieter my mind gets. But it's not a yelling match. It's questions. Is what I'm thinking true? Am I tired? Am I confused? Have I forgotten to notice the good things in my life and convince myself that everything is falling apart? Is everything falling apart? When's the last time I moved my body? Would it help to shake, dance, or go for a walk? Even if it didn't help, would it feel better? Even a little better? Would it feel better than just sitting here and getting angry? When's the last time I was outside? Wouldn't it feel good to be outside? What if I put my naked feet upon the grass? Even for two minutes, could I do that? Can you think of a question you could ask in the midst of being in your monkey mind? Is there an action that would be helpful for you to take? Is there a question that you could kind of put in your little toolkit the next time you're feeling this kind of frenetic energy in your monkey mind that you could kind of pull out and use to kind of dislodge some of that um, energy. See, the problem when we are listening to our monkey mind is that we often sit there in silence and when we don't get the thoughts out of our head, they get much bigger. Oh, much, 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 much bigger. So someone could do the most tiniest of infractions and the ego mind will blow it up like they started World War III. Or if it's talking smack about you, a tiny little thing like you missed going to the gym today turns into you being the most slothful human to ever walk the face of the earth. Your egoic mind is prone to exaggeration and we rarely hear it as hyperbole. Nope. In that moment, it all seems rational and plausible and accurate when it stays inside your mind. Questions work for me. So I started asking it questions. What is this really about? Why are you blaming Callie for playing? Why are you blaming Callie for meeting her own needs? What are you interpreting that as? Her not loving you? Recognizing you? Validating you? Well, 
Lane, the truth is, you have not been playing. You have not been meeting your own needs. In this moment, you are not loving you. You are not recognizing you. You are not validating you. You are not being kind to you. I've mentioned in other episodes that commitment or the, the commitment Callie and I made to each other from the beginning was that we would not be responsible for the other's happiness. We would be responsible for our own. We would never put the responsibility of our own personal happiness on the other person. And we've been pretty good with that. And I would highly recommend that you experiment with this idea in your own relationship if you haven't already. One of the nastiest egoic mind rabbit holes is allowing someone else to create your emotions. This is hard to hear in a world that outsources everything from our opinions to our divinity to our sense of self-worth. And as hard as this may seem, this is the skill you want to focus on. You have to learn to make yourself happy. You have to learn to make yourself belong. You have to learn to stand in your own power. You have to learn to encourage yourself. You have to learn to believe in yourself. You have to learn to fill up. You have to learn to believe in your purpose. You have to learn to find a way to make peace with your story and create the story moving forward. Did you catch the theme there? <laughs> yeah, learn. We are learning. We will continue to learn. We're works in progress. And that's perfectly perfect. The ego keeps you in the old story and spending time in the old story makes your future a continuation of that old story. If that's not good enough for you, just get a little bit better at recognizing what you're choosing to believe about yourself, another person, or the situation. Is it coming from the part of you that is connected to the all there is or not? You know, I usually like to live in a both-and kind of world where everything is possible. But as we do this work of awakening, there's a whole bunch of, of either-or things to consider. Like, either you are in your power or you are not. Either you are loving yourself or you are not. Either you believe in miracles or you don't. Either you know things are working out or you don't. And there's nothing wrong with fluctuating between those two ideas. Remember, this is all about learning. Just be a little more aware each time. Just notice which idea or thought is holding you back and keeping you in your old story and which one is moving you forward into a new way of experiencing your life. All I'm going for here is being aware of where you are, being aware of what you're thinking, being aware of what you're feeling. Awareness is a light. And if you shine, shine it often enough, 
the dark places disappear for longer and longer periods of time. We're not looking for perfection here. Give yourself tons of grace in this work. You are learning to do things differently. You are learning to observe yourself and the world around you. You are learning not to react, but to respond. And the more of us doing this, the better the world gets. Can I get an amen? <laughs> amen. Well, thanks for letting me work through that. I do hope it helped some of you, maybe even all of you. If there's someone in your life right now that needs to hear this, please share this episode and know that you subscribing or writing a review is how we expand this work in the world. And I would value you making that contribution. If you've gotten yourself to a place where you want to take this work more seriously, pop over to weirdhummingbirds.com. There are two ways you can work together. And I've got links in the show notes. Know that you can write to me at lane at weirdhummingbirds.com if you've got a comment or a question, and I will respond. And I would love to hear from you. Well, I trust this show was meaningful to you and that it ignited a wonderful, healthy conversation in your own mind and gave you some tools for whenever you get stuck in your monkey mind. Be kind to yourself. Be understanding. Be encouraging. Keep exploring. And keep asking questions. And until next time, stay weird, stay curious, and keep popping your corks or plugging your power leaks. Whichever one feels right to you. Ta for now. Well, I hope this show rocked your world a little bit. If you want additional resources, check out the links in the show notes or at lanesmithbrown.com. Before you go, please subscribe to this podcast. It's how we get these tools into the world. And this world needs more wild women standing in their authentic power. Do that for me, will ya? Thank you.